Hi and welcome to the Girl Next Door podcast. I'm your host Renee Bennett and this is a leadership podcast for ordinary girls compelled to lead an extraordinary life. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. Well, hey guys, happy Wednesday again or whatever day that it is that you are listening to this podcast. Hey, I have got a super duper treat um, for everyone today because I've got a guest and I love having guests, but my guest is really special to me. And the funny thing is her name is Renee also. So we've got Renee and Renee today. Um, I know that as you listen to this podcast that you will get more of a gist of her story and our story. Um, But just to explain a little bit of who she is, she... um, Oh my gosh, how many years ago now? 20 something years ago when she was five years of age, I was her prep teacher in Adelaide. And so honestly, if we were to tell you or you saw this story on Netflix, you would think that this is a make-believe story because it seriously beggars belief, the story that we have and the way that God's connected us and what she's been through. So anyway, without any further ado, I want to welcome the other Renee. Hey, Renee. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to have you. Um, you are in freezing cold Adelaide right now, and I'm in sunny, kind of cold Queensland. Is it cold over there? It is freezing. I've got my heated throw rug, and so I'm all set. <laughs> is that a heated blanket? It is. <laughs> they are way too cold. Uh, way too, it's way too hot to have one of those here. It is, yes. And you do rub that in every time you speak to me about the nice Queensland weather. So thanks for that. I do. However, I am, as a lot of people know from the podcast, I'm actually from Adelaide. So um, we're gonna, I'm just going to launch into, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. And um, you also love God. You're a Christian. Most of our listeners probably are. Some of them might not be. Um, but just to bring that into context, because I feel like your story and yours and my story is such a God story. Because yeah. like I said in the intro, I reckon you could put our story on Netflix and it would seem like a make-believe. Oh, and it would be like, highest rating (laughs) beat tiger king is that what's the highest rating at the moment i think it is tiger king and carol baskin yeah (laughs) yeah i think i think our story would be would beat netflix okay so let's just talk about how we met so i was a teacher uh and i think i'd been teaching hmm i reckon it was my third year of teaching at torrance valley which is a private christian school in adelaide and little Renee came along and you were a student in my class in prep. Do you have any recollections of the beginning of prep? I can remember getting a letter sent home from Torrens Valley because you were Miss, Miss Vandernacker then. <laughs> well, you just and, my, my maiden name. Yes, I was Miss Van. Yes. And I can remember um, getting a letter home about coming to visit school for the first time. Um, yeah and not too much other than that yeah right so I had a really big impact on you (laughs) yes (laughs) um so I remember probably one of my biggest memories of you in the first couple of months that I had you is that you would always copy my hair and of course my hair well back then it was a bit shorter but I'd always put it behind my ears like I still do to this day and you would always do your hair 
the same. And your mum always used to say how much, so she would call me big Renee and you were little Renee. See, I can't remember that. You don't remember that? Yeah. Ask your no. mum. <laughs> so, 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 okay. Couple months in, let's, let's start, start the, the story. Couple months in, I think it was about halfway through the, the year, maybe about June or July and conjunctivitis was going around our class, including I got it. And for those of you, surely you know what conjunctivitis is, all the listeners, is when you get one of those eye infections. And so I remember I got an eye infection and a few other kids got an eye infection and it looked like you had an eye infection. And I remember saying to your mum, well, I think Renee's just got what we've got, but it did not turn out to be an eye infection for you. So do you want to, obviously, I don't know how much you remember about that time, but from yeah. your perspective, what happened? So um, I can remember going to my grandma's house for dinner one night and my grandma lived um, like half an hour away from us or a little bit um, further. So when I went to visit my grandma, obviously she didn't see me every day. It wasn't, it might've been once every couple of weeks or once a week or if that. Um, and I can remember as a five-year-old, my grandma peering over me with my mum, having a look at my eye. Mm. Um, and I can remember that moment vividly um, because they did notice that something was was wrong with my eye. Um, and that led to my mum taking me to the GP, um, which they then said I had an eye infection. Mm. Um, they didn't say I had conjunctivitis. They had an eye infection that would clear up in a couple of weeks' time. Mm. Yeah. And I remember you at that stage then, I remember you coming into the office one day, you might not remember this, and you had a bandage the whole way around your head covering your eye. And your mum said to me, I'm really worried, take a look. And she pulled the bandage down and I was like, dear Lord almighty, like your eye was actually starting to almost, it was almost like it was kind of coming out. Like it was just was weird. It was the weirdest kind of thing. So then um, now, miraculously, again, there's just so many God interventions yeah. in your life. Your little brother, Timmy, who I also taught, he's now married. He's not little Timmy anymore. Um, he had an asthma attack and your mum took him to the hospital and happened to take you. And the doctor who was treating Timothy noticed your eye. Yeah. So um, it, once again, uh, so amazing. God's so amazing in this timing and how he works everything together. Um, but it was a couple of weeks later when the eye infection was meant to have been cleared up um, that Tim did have an asthma attack. And when I went to visit him um, in hospital, the doctor happened to be doing the rounds um, and assessing uh, my little brother, um, Tim. And so my mum, I don't know if it was my mum asked him or if he said, what was wrong with your, um, with your daughter's eye? Um, but mum said, oh, do you mind having a look? It's meant to have cleared up by now. Mm -hmm. um, and the doctor was, do you call it registrars when they're fresh out of uni and they're kind yeah. of in that final crack year? So the doctor was actually a registrar at the time um, and he knew that it was something, it wasn't an eye infection. And so I ended up meeting them with the top um, paediatrician in Mulberry Hospital at the time. Um, and I can remember, I can remember vividly walking down the corridors of Mulberry Hospital on the way to get an x-ray with my mum and asking her, how come I'm getting an X-ray? I'm not even sick. Like mm -hmm. I didn't understand because I didn't feel sick um, at all um, mm. at that moment. Yeah, yeah. And so fast forward a bit, um, they did the X-ray and then what, what happened? What was the diagnosis? 
So the paediatrician said that um, he thought it was either one of two types of cancer mm -hmm. or an abnormal blood vessel. Mm -hmm. um, and he referred us to um, Women's and Children's Hospital in Adelaide um, to meet with various specialists. Um, and then they did a biopsy on me, um, found an abnormal blood vessel. Um, I think it was maybe a week later after we'd originally been at Mopri Hospital, um, removed the abnormal blood vessel. Um, and so we thought life was all good to go. Everything had been fixed. And that was the, um, the mm. you know, I suppose the, the issue. So what happened then? How did it get, how yep. did it go further from there? So um, a couple of weeks later, I was sitting in, I think my dad actually said I was sitting in church on a Sunday, Sunday, and my eye just started um, erupting like a volcano, like I think oozing blood or different things like that, or my, some, something happened. Yep. Um, and the eye specialist opened up his clinic at like 11 o'clock on the Sunday night. And then the next morning I was rushed into um you know a theater and they found that the um the abnormal blood vessel that they'd removed was the food source to a tumor under my left eye. Um, so the tumor is called rhabdomysocoma and when they found it it was the size of two apricots under oh, my little wow. yeah. Wow. And so they decided not to remove it though, right? Didn't they decide to treat it to attack it with chemo and radiation? Correct. Yeah. So I think um, different types of cancer and different, um, you know, whether it's benign or malignant and things like that, whether when you remove it, it can, um, you know, be detrimental, especially if there's cells left and things like that. Yeah. So um, they couldn't remove it. They, yeah, their course of treatment was um, radiotherapy and chemotherapy. Yeah. That they. So I then um, obviously didn't, no, you just were absent from school during that whole time. Yep. But then I remember one morning I walked into this, I was getting ready. I was in the staff room, just getting ready for the day. And your dad walked in, he was looking for me. And I remember he just looked at me and he didn't say anything. And he started crying and I knew, yeah. and I started crying and I was like, <laughs> what is going on? And so your dad kind of filled me in. And so I reckon from memory, that was like about July. It was about halfway through the year. Um, so obviously the next six months, um, that's probably how you and I got quite close because I remember the hospital saying that the best thing for you would be to keep your life as normal as possible while you were going through treatment, but you couldn't come to school for a lot of that. So I would come to you. So I remember, um, coming and sitting with you in the hospital. I remember coming and sitting with you at home. We've got photos of that. Yeah. And you were very, you were very sick. Um, you were sick from the treatment is what you were yeah. sick from. Um, and so I do remember then after treatment, you came back to school. I remember we had the nurses from the hospital come in and talk to the rest of the class because by then you were obviously starting to lose your hair. Yeah. And so of course the other students are only five and they were thinking they were getting scared. Like, well, if we have medicine, will we lose our hair, you know, things that you don't think kids think of. And I remember you would come to me a couple of times a day and go, Miss Man, because I wasn't married yet. And I would um, take all the hair off your shoulders that you were losing and put it in the bin. Yeah. If you remember that. I can remember losing big amounts of hair. Um, and I, I, could, I just wanted as much normality as possible. So if I was, um, I can remember I would try to go to school even if, and I can remember so often 
literally sleeping the whole day in the classroom yeah. and not like not being able to do anything but for me that was just normality as I was just I just wanted to go to school and in fact the morning I was um diagnosed I said to I woke up and I said to my dad I said oh I'm ready to go to school now um and you know as if everything was all good and my dad said to me um oh you can't go to school and um it was crazy that no one had ever talked to me about cancer or what cancer was or what impact it had but I, probably because of the past couple of weeks, I'd heard so much talk about that word cancer and I knew that it was bad, even as a five-year-old, even though I didn't comprehend what it was fully. And I said to my dad um, on that morning, I said, oh, um, do I have cancer? And my dad said, uh, yeah, yeah, you do have cancer. And then my next question to him was, am I going to die? And my dad said, oh, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to pray to Jesus about it tonight. And I said, can we pray now so that he's got a chance to make up his mind? Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. What did he yeah. say? Um, yeah, well, I think he was trying uh, to hold it all together in that moment. Um, but, yeah, he accepted. We, we prayed about it then and there. But he must have come to school that later on that morning um, after that conversation. So, yeah, yeah, he, he did. And... Um, and I remember he told me later that you had asked that. And I mean, what a question for a five-year-old to ask. What yeah. do you remember being the hardest thing for you in that season? I think uh, it was very hard, the broken routine, because everything that you'd grown up, you know, every household has different routines as far as bedtimes and how you're, you know, from when you're born to, you know, how things operate. And, you know, I was... I'm one of three siblings. I've got an older brother and a younger brother. So even though that was my first year of school, there was still kindy the year before and school drop-offs for my older brother. So at that point, everything just was tipped upside down and routine completely went out out, um, out the window. Um, everything that was normal was um, no longer normal. Um, and I think the other thing, in a weird way, it's weird because you think that attention is a good thing but I hated all the attention. So um, a couple of years ago, we became connected with a family whose daughter was terminally ill with brain cancer. And she, I got involved in a, throwing a birthday party for her. She was probably only three or four years old. And I can remember at the birthday party, everybody just like trying to get photos with her and like just speak to her. And I can remember vividly just seeing her struggle so much and just want to, she just wanted to be normal and play with her friends. And, yeah. um, and I, I never had, I felt the feeling so strongly come rushing back to me of how it was yeah. um, up until that moment when I was at that three or four year old's birthday party, because um, wherever we went and every single phone call, there was always people who were saying, um, how's Renee going? And it was only out of care. But I can remember, I don't know if you can remember this, every conversation I'd say, stop talking about me. Yes, and I'd yes. yell that every conversation. Um, and it was just really my cry for normality. Like I, I just wanted, uh, cancer had just consumed everything that I just didn't want to think about or talk about. I just wanted to be normal. Um, yeah. yeah. And the other really, the, probably the most confront, confronting thing was death. Um, because up until that point in my life, my parents had provided for everything. So they'd provide my food, they'd provide my, you know, roof over my head, my clothing, 
Um, there was nothing that they couldn't provide. And even that very first conversation with my dad the morning after I was diagnosed, um, it was probably in that very moment that it was my first real understanding that this was the first time in my life where something was a bigger problem than what my parents could could deal with and what my parents could fix. Yeah. Um, and I can remember it was uh, all, all the questions, um, you know, uh, what do they do with the bodies after, after you die? Um, and right. I, I'm not, yeah, I hated the thought of people being cremated. Like I couldn't get my, my head around burning somebody's body. And, um, you know, what I, I'd say to my parents, I, I grew up in church my whole life. And so I'd say to my parents, what, um, you know, cause I had friends dying during treatment. What, what, you know, what happens if they don't know Jesus, do they go to heaven? Yes. Um, yeah just really confronted with death and and very big life. questions for a five-year-old to yeah. be thinking and even though no one had discussed that with you you picked it up you you knew that this was yeah. really serious now your family like you said you'd grown up in church you're a christian i do not know how your parents answered those questions by the way my gosh yeah. um what did god mean to you in that season and your, so, and your family yeah so um, obviously being a, um, a Christian family, um, you know, the fact that the, when I asked my dad if I was going to die, that was his first response was to say, you know, we, we got to pray to Jesus about it. Um, and I'm so glad that he didn't lie to me, that he didn't say, no, you're not going to die because there was, I knew even as a five year there was a strong reality that I could die. Um, but as far as I originally viewed God as my ticket to heaven so I can remember asking um, Jesus into my heart because I was scared that if I was going to die that you know obviously I wanted to make sure I was going to heaven so that was originally my first comprehension of God was really my ticket um, and I uh, I think being a five-year-old being a five-year-old and having my cancer journey has given me such a big comprehension of what the bible talks about childlike faith because um i can remember um you know i i don't know if someone gave me the verse or if i found the verse in the bible um like psalm 103 verse 3 where it says he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases mm -hmm. and i can remember declaring that over everything so I would you know do a piece of artwork and I'd write it write that verse on that artwork and I'd hang it in my room mm -hmm. and I declared that that verse over my life and it wasn't even the fact that I I didn't have a piece that I wasn't going to die so it was still that I could die but it was God became that that um that you know when my parents couldn't provide for me, God was that source of just relying on him a hundred percent and trusting him a hundred percent that yes. even though I didn't have the understanding or that comprehension of how I was going to come through it, that God had it all in control. Yeah. So there was an element of safety that God could provide that sense of safety that your parents couldn't even provide. And by the way, for people that are thinking what she was five or six and reading and writing these verses. Yes. Cause I remember what happened was one of the only things you could do was read. And so you yeah. became this avid reader during that time. And I couldn't keep up with you. I was giving you books that were way beyond prep level um, because a lot of the time you were just laying down and you were sick. And so you became a really good reader and writer at a young age. Um, 
So, so with that whole year, I remember then um, Cameron and I were engaged not long after that. And I remember, and because I'd grown quite close to you and your family, because I used to go and visit you at home and, you know, and in hospital. And so I remember asking your mum one day, would you mind if we got Renee to be the flower girl in our wedding? Now that wedding, our wedding was in January. And of course your mum cried because <laughs> I remember she was saying, I'd always had a dream because she had two boys. She's like, I've always had a dream. That my daughter would be in a wedding. And of course, not knowing whether you were going to live or die, she thought she'd never get to see that. And so she was so excited. Um, but I remember you had just finished your radiation treatment um, and no, maybe you would just finish chemo. I can't remember which treatment, but you just finished treatment in the January, just before our wedding or in the December. And so the hardest thing about our wedding was finding a hat for you because you had no hair and your eye was really red from the radiation. Finding a hat that didn't scratch your head was like the hardest thing. Do you remember that? I remember we went shopping in the city um, to look for, I don't know, dresses, hats, etc. And I can remember it was an exhausting day. Like <laughs> it was like a marathon of a day. Um, it probably was the hat. And I don't I don't even think I think we ended up lining the hat. I don't think it we found a hat. Yeah, that we, we hat. Yeah, we got a hat and then we found this special lady. I forget what you call a hat maker. They've got a name. We found this special lady in North Adelaide and she lined the hat for you so that it wouldn't scratch your head. Yeah. I remember on the day of Cameron's and my wedding and you got to ride in the car with me. And do you remember our whole class? Like my church was really huge where we got married to fit like 1,500 people just on the floor. Um, but do you remember our cl your class, my class, was all sitting by the door when we walked in? I can't remember them sitting by the door. I do have some photos with a couple of my classmates after the ceremony, um, but I can remember falling asleep in the wedding car on the way to the church and you had to wake me up when we arrived at the church before I walked down the aisle yeah, yeah. you stole the thunder you stole the bride's thunder I know and Don't I we had this conversation I, a couple of years ago we had this conversation because I look back now and I think that you know it's the most special day and it's you know that moment before you walk down the aisle, like I've been a maid of honour in a wedding and just that moment before you walk down the aisle. And, and I said to you, are you, how do you feel about like, I was asleep, like, you know, um, just sick the whole day. There was so much extra that came with me. I said, do you regret having me in your wedding? And you said to me, you said, don't ever say that again. No, of course I didn't. And we, we delved more into, um, into how it blessed both of our worlds so much. Oh, totally. It's yeah. ridiculous to think I would regret having you. Um, I hope the sound's okay. I can hear the sound kind of um, my, from my end, not yours. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, I remember, um, I don't think there was a dry eye when you walked down the aisle. And it was a big yeah. eye. <laughs> it was, I can remember the practice and it was a very big aisle. Yeah. No, it was beautiful. And I'm, we've got some beautiful photos from that day. But I think your dad... Absolutely. At the reception, your dad just 
randomly said, can I make a speech? And we're like, sure. And honestly, it's probably my most beautiful memory of our reception is that he, he quoted a song about, we love you with the love of the Lord. And he basically just shared a bit about your journey at that stage. They did not know if you were going to live or die. And your dad was in tears and he just thanked us and thanked God for the day and the moment. And everyone was in tears again. I think my wedding was more than tears, um, but in a good way, you know? And so fast forward a few years, um, you go back to school. I was teaching, but then I had the kids, so I wasn't teaching anymore. But then a few years later, maybe, maybe like eight years later, not maybe 10. I can't even remember. Eight. I reckon I was about 14. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe about seven or eight years later, we buy this new house in Hope Valley and I drive around the corner. We, we go, we go to have a look at the house again. And the next thing I see you riding your bike with your brothers and we wound down the window and we go, what are you guys doing here? And you're like, well, what are you doing here? And we're like, well, we live here. And you go, we live here. And we ended up being neighbors. Yes, That's we ridiculous. did. It was, and I can remember riding my bike and seeing you on that day, and it was so amazing. Um, we had had seen each other throughout the years over that time since I, you know, you were my reception teacher. But yeah, it was so amazing. Yeah, and your family lived literally like I don't know a ten second, twenty second walk, kind of like we're on different streets, but we were really kind of close. So, so then of course your family and our family connected again. Um, on a whole new level, even though, like you said, we were always still had that, uh, you know, that bond, I think, because of what you'd been through. Yeah. Um, so that was crazy. So then we were neighbours for the next, well, until we moved to Queensland. And then even now we still see each other. And the beautiful thing is I got to come back into your life at a different level. So by then I wasn't teaching, but we were pastoring. So I remember you coming to my house and us having lots of um, boy chats. <laughs> yes <laughs> how privileged were you to have to listen to my small minute issues um it's funny I, but but the good thing was by then my kids like Georgia was probably five at the time because then Georgia started um prep herself my Georgia at the same school where I taught at that you went to prep. So my kids went to the same school that you went to, but you then often would come over and just, I don't even know if you knew how helpful you were. Cause I was exhausted at that stage with three kids and a husband that was full-time ministry. And I was often on my own and you would just come around and grab the kids and take them and bake cookies and stuff with them. And I was like, thank God for Renee. <laughs> oh, it's funny that you say that because I'm like, Poor Renee Bennett having to listen to all my small, minute, little, woeful teenage problems. And I said, live around your house. Like, I'm surprised you didn't kick me out so much more because I'm like, if that was was me now with somebody else, I'm like, I don't know how how she put up with me uh, for all that time. So I'm glad I wasn't an assistant. Well, I think, um, I think too, the, the whole cancer journey had affected you in another way as you got older. So even though, um, you survived through it. Um, so obviously there was an effect on your eye and the radiation affected the the growth of your face on that side. And you've only got what 10% vision in that eye. Oh yeah. Five or 10%. You give me heart attacks when you drive my kids. <laughs> Because you drive. I think I'm a good driver. 
You are a good driver. I think you would be a crazy driver whether you had 10% or 100% vision. But I remember you would drive my kids, but I, I, I really did trust you, even though you had 10% vision in one eye. I thought, well, look, they wouldn't have given you a license if you couldn't drive. But um, so can you talk to us about kind of the post effect that that had on you, self-esteem and things that you struggled with from that? Yeah, so I think that um, I, even probably until 2016, if not later, I didn't fully comprehend just how much of, um, how much, how big my self-esteem issues were. Mm. Um, and I think it was years and years and years of um, just, you know, tiny, small thoughts just eroding away over time that I didn't even realise were having a detrimental effect to me. Um, and I think the, 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 one of the defining moments of breaking my self-esteem or my self-esteem being broken was um, my oncologist recommended that I go to these, um, visit the Australian craniofacial unit. Mm. And um, maybe I might've been about 12 at that time when I had my first round of appointments, but, the, up until that point, all the issues that I had, like the scars that I had, I had just resolved in my mind. That's just the way I am. You can't change it. Um, and I can rem- I'll never forget having the appointment with the craniofacial surgeon because he literally looked at, my, <laughs> looked at my face and just pointed and was like, that's wrong, that's wrong, we need to fix that, um, that's out. Um, and I held it together for the appointment and I can remember leaving the appointment, um, the room, and just bursting into tears um, because I just literally felt he made me feel so ugly and that everything was wrong with me. Um, and I suppose from, from that point, um, well, my whole life subconsciously, I think I hadn't seen myself as beautiful. I, I compared myself to everybody else who's appeared flawless and I just discounted myself continually and, and um, yeah, looked at myself and, and went, you know, who's going to want to love me with this, you know, with my face not being symmetrical, with my eye like this. Mm. Um, yeah. And the reason why it, it came out in, two, well, I can see that it came out in 2016 was two moments is the first one is I bought a business in 2016 and it was from my auntie. Um, I bought a candle business from her. Um, and you know that cause I stayed with you for um, part of the time I was up, up in Queensland buying the business from my auntie and transporting it back to South Australia. But um, I was so insecure about myself that I couldn't even sell my own candles because I would look at other candle businesses I'd see how many followers they had on social media. I'd see, you know, what they were doing. And I couldn't see in myself an ability to promote my own candles. Um, And the other thing that happened in the same month in 2016 was I got my first um, boyfriend. And it was, it's strange to think back now that at the time when I started going out with him, the poor guy, um, I literally was so insecure about myself that I didn't even realise that the first five or six times we ever hung out, I said to him, do you still like me? Do you still want to be with me? And I had no idea that these words were even coming out my mouth. Um, but that was just obviously a outpouring of actually where my heart was and how insecure I was in myself. 
Yeah. And I do remember you over the years talking to me about it. I remember you rang me not long after you'd been to that appointment and you said to me, I don't know what to do. Do I go and have the plastic surgery? You know, um, and I could see you really struggling with it in your heart. And I, um, gosh, I can't remember what I said to you, but I think because I've known you so long and I know you, I, I don't even see it. Like I don't even see the, what you would say are the other flaws. And I'm just not someone that judges people that way. And um, I think you're beautiful. Um, and so I probably was a taken aback that you even asked because I forget that you're living with that now, you know, every day. So how have you moved through, or obviously it's probably not something that is immediately fixed, but how do you deal with that? I think it's um, very much important to understand that life is a journey not a destination and we so often think that our problems are going to be an instant fix or not even an instant fix but once we're over something um, we don't recognize the ability to, that it might pop up again so for me my self-esteem there is so many different seasons of my life where it's flared up again um, and I think not being too hard on yourself going oh I'm a failure because I haven't conquered this but actually acknowledging the journey. Um, and it's also just been really important to know yourself and know, um, like, see what you're actually inputting into yourself. Um, yes. I know for me over the years, um, there's been times where I've had to have a break on social media. Mm -hmm. I think social media is 100% everybody else's highlight reels um, of their life. You don't see the yeah, you don't see the bad parts of their lives. It's them promoting all the good stuff. Um, and for me, that in so many seasons was just a fueling of negativity and comparison um, where I just instantly go into this brainwave of going, comparing myself and my life to other people's lives. So just acknowledging, um, you know, seeing what's actually hindering you and not helping you and tweaking that. So whether it's taking a break from Facebook and Instagram, it doesn't mean there's been times when I've, um, just deleted the apps on my phone. So I've still got access to it on like my computer or things like that, but it's not my computer, something that I have to actually take out um, and go on to. Um, so I don't access it as much. Um, so yeah, social media, there's been TV shows that I've banned myself from watching or not watched for certain seasons. Like I love Married at First Sight. I love The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, but some seasons they haven't actually been good for me to watch and where where I am and where it takes my thoughts yes. um, ahead. yeah and yeah and also your company I think it's really important to um, just watch you know watch what company and who you're actually getting advice from and who's feeding into you and what they're feeding into you in those seasons yeah that's all really really good advice and I think um, we're because we're in a generation where no one's ever enough. No one ever looks good enough. And there's even girls that I would consider, you know, in the worldly sense, you go, there is nothing wrong with them. And yet they go and get their lips done or, you know, they get all sorts of stuff. I actually did a episode a few back about Botox. People were asking, would I ever get Botox? And I'm like, I actually wouldn't. I, I don't know. I just feel this real keen sense of, um, feeling responsible teach girls by example to be happy with who they are yeah absolutely Sorry. and i i think that there's been numerous times where um you straight after that first um 
uh, plastic surgery appointment and this is like with the world's leading plastic surgeons and I get this opportunity for free um, and they made you go through like uh, with a social worker and like a counsellor as a part of those, you know, those appointments. Um, and I can remember the social worker saying to me, don't, or the, or the counsellor saying to me, don't um, just keep going to the appointments because you don't want to miss the opportunity. If you do want to have the surgery in the future, like you might not want to now, but um, that's fine, but just keep going through the appointments. Um, and I went through, I think, three or four times through all the appointments in preparation for the plastic surgery. Um, and I never felt at peace about it, um, about having it. And I think God really convicted my spirit that there were so many different things that were in my control that I wasn't doing to look after myself, whether it be diet or exercise or, um, you know, what I was feeding myself, mm -hmm. that God's like, you know, um, you can't get plastic surgery. It's not a quick fix. It's not going to actually fix anything because you're not actually looking after yourself. Right. And I remember, sorry. I remember saying to you at the time, if you do do it, you've got to do it for the right reasons. Yeah. Which is not because it's going to make you happy because you're going to look like someone else or you're going to look better, but because, you know, you've dealt with those insecurities and you want to do it for you. Yeah. Not for uh -huh. someone you yeah. still aren't you still won't have one of my green smoothies as god spoken to you about that <laughs> no well last time i was getting through it and then you fed it to your dog she didn't eat it either <laughs> <laughs> i haven't been oh i just snorted i've been making them lately it's too cold okay so um there's been a lot of people that you've lost along the way because the one thing that i've really noticed about your family was how generous they were right from the get-go. The second that you became sick, even though your parents were going through the most horrendous uh, thing that a parent could go through, I have never seen a family be so generous in all my life. They reached out to so many other families. Your dad was endlessly doing fundraisers. Like I'm, I think one fundraiser was like you guys, all the whole convoy of trucks drove from... Adelaide to Melbourne. Convoy for kids. Yeah, like convoy for kids. And your parents were so generous and you've become so generous. But just talk to us for a minute about because of that, you've invested in a lot of families, but you've lost a lot of people along the way. Um, so can you talk to us about how you've coped with grief? Um, I know you even had something sad happen just this week. Um, to talk to us about that. Yeah, so... Um when so we had a phone conference random phone conversation a couple of weeks ago um and a couple of days yeah you and i and a couple of days after that phone conversation um one of the families who would become friends with um my family was a host family on a um family camp for kids with cancer so uh you know we'd host up the riverland um with water skiing and things like that um this camp and one of the families we met through that, um, her daughter um, was 19 years old. Their daughter was 19 years old um, and she had a brain hemorrhage all of a sudden and died. Um, yeah, days ago. And, yeah. yeah. And so I think that um, the sad part, I think the we discussed that the sad part about that for me was I actually saw this girl a couple of days before she died um, working at a local shopping centre um, and I 
felt on my heart to go talk to her and just encourage her and, you know, speak into some of the things I'd felt at her age about self-esteem and things like that. And I didn't um, go talk to her because I was so busy at the time. Um, And then, you know, she passed away. And I think that that was really upsetting that that was really upsetting that I've been so disobedient to God, so been so disobedient to God when He'd been so clear um, on for me to go speak to her. Um, but when when I had cancer, I became close friends with five. There was five five of us that were really close, and three of them have passed away, and two still have significant disabilities. Mm. Um, so it was very much. Um, I've been to so many, I I reckon I've probably been to about 20 funerals of kids with cancer with my parents. Um, So it was certainly that whole grief and um, dealing with grief was something that I became very accustomed to very quickly. And I think that one of the biggest things I'm an advocate for now is mental health um, and having people around that you can talk to. Um, So I've got a lady in my life who's a Christian counsellor who was um, at my church when I was going through treatment. So she very much walked through that treatment um, journey with me. Um, And then even now I still go back and see her occasionally. So I think people look at seeing a counsellor, there's a stigma around it that it's a weakness, that if you go see a counsellor, you're a weak person. And I actually think it's quite the opposite, that you actually can be like a stronger person um, when you when you do go see a counsellor because it's like a mental exercise, a mental health um, routine and being mentally fit. Um, so I think, yeah, being, being okay to actually get help, um, you know, whether it be from, you know, um, a pastor, a counsellor, um, like professional help is um, something I'm a real advocate for and has certainly helped me and understanding how my brain operates and how I think. And um, the other thing that that counsellor actually said to me in the past was that crying is three times more powerful than morphine. Um, wow. So you think about like how powerful morphine is and the fact that crying is three times more powerful than that. So it's really important that um, over the years, I've actually given myself permission to have that really good cry. Like, you know, when your body, God's given you emotions and feelings for a reason. Um, and so when you feel those emotions and those feelings and you know you need a good cry, not actually holding that in, I think that can be really, yeah. Yeah, that's really great. Like really practical and it seems like simple advice, but that is so, you know, for someone like you, I've watched your family time and time and time again having to grieve over other people's families like I know another one that you and I have in common was someone that I used to uh was another teacher um at Torrance Valley um and I taught their son and your guys are friends with them as well and their son got a brain tumor yeah yeah and he and he died and I remember that really gutted your dad too yeah Yeah, no Sorry, you go. No, I was going to say um, it, it did absolutely gut um, my family. Um, I think that there's, in, in those situations, my, especially my dad, he's always been very good at looking at real practical ways that he can help families. So that's part of a way that he deals with his grief or feeling sad about something is actually being able to practically do something for them. 
so especially with that yeah that family that was a way that he could really you know there's numerous ways that he actually helped yeah yeah really practical things like you were saying to me before like you know helping with access making a new door into the room to for easy access your parents have been extremely generous over the years even the day that i got married i remember your mum your mum rocked up to my house your dad rocked up to Cameron's house and they both bought food yeah (laughs) i didn't want to eat because i was nervous but they bought food Um, so what are you up to now? So, um, at the moment I've got my own business, uh, which is called Renee Louise. So, um, a couple of weeks ago, I opened my second shop in, um, local shopping centers. Um, yeah, so that's most of my life, um, is, I suppose, career wise is the shops. Um, and yeah, other than that, just actively involved in church, my own connect group, which I love, my own young adults connect group. But yeah, most of my life is taken up by the shops. So, because you had the candle business in 2016, you didn't have the confidence to sell your own candles. And now you're selling flowers in two shops. What happened? Yeah, so I think, um, like we discussed before, it wasn't like a miraculous overnight transformation. Um, I think that God used certain situations like buying the candle business from the start and being in my first relationship to really bring things to the surface um, and really shine a light on different things and really reveal things um, on my, like reveal things, issues on my heart and really heal them. Um, and it, like I said, it was a whole, it's a work in progress. It's still not, not completely there. Um, but, I suppose it just, um, yeah, it was a healing process and time. And um, after, after I've, I've over the years with the candle business since 2016, I had done a couple of pop-ups at local shopping centres, like little kiosks at different seasons, like Mother's Day and Christmas and things like that. Um, and even 2018, I was so insecure about doing something on my own that I formed a business partnership with a friend because I was I didn't want to do it on my own and I was so um yeah I I viewed myself as incapable of being able to do something on my own so I brought that um brought the kind of dragged the friend in on on it with me um and yeah I think God's just over time used it used gradually and slowly and um, used the overtime to really heal, heal my heart and yeah, and grow me. Yeah. And now your business is taking off. Plus you're a super hard worker. I am. Um, yeah, I'm a hard worker and I think hard work is definitely the key to any business succeeding. I think you can make any business succeed if you've got the hard work and passion to do so. Um, but it's been such a transformation over since having a candle business which I couldn't even market myself and sell to now a shop that's named after myself um yeah. Renee Louise um yeah and I look back and I'm like what a crazy journey in that God's given me the confidence to do so um and not only that but the shops every single day it brings in opportunities to speak to people um and especially flowers because I sell flowers fresh flowers at both shops it's an amazing um, what the flowers brings opportunity to speak to people about. 
because people often buy can like flowers you know they've had a death or um you know they flowers are a very emotional thing and people come in and talk to you about their life every single time and um well most times anyway and so it's been an incredible opportunity the demographic that the shops have brought in and just the ability to an opportunity to speak into other people's lives and encourage them and evangelize and and just love on them and that's what i love about you and i think your parents have installed that instilled that in you everything that you do even a flower business you you are doing it because you see an opportunity to reach other people for jesus and to be generous with your life like you're not in it to build your name to make lots of money and if you did it would be because you want to give back into the kingdom i know that that's yeah. who you are um and that's just a real hallmark for someone that's lost so much and been through so much that you and your family are the most generous people that i know so just to finish up, um, you know, there will be people that are listening right now who are going through a lot uh, or going through a hard time. It might not look like your hard time, but it might be a, you know, whatever they're going through. What, what would you like to leave with them? What would you like to tell them? So I would probably say to those people um, in hard time, it is often so chaotic that I know that the first thing that I throw out the window is investing into myself so not just um, physically but like mentally and spiritually it's so easy for the quiet times to go out the window and my time with God or um, you know physical is usually the first thing that goes with me um, so uh, you know I'm an emotional eater um, plus also you know don't invest into um, you know cooking healthy meals for yourself exercising so I would just um, really encourage these people to really be mindful of investing into themselves. You know, um, physically you can do small things like go for a walk or paint your toenails or have a shower, do your hair, dress nicely for a day and you'd feel so much better for yourself, for about yourself for doing so. Um, and likewise, you know, mentally and, um, you know, speak to someone, make sure you're actually investing into your mental life and spiritual life, like it's so important. Yeah, and having a good community around you, which I know for us is bonus because that's the beauty of being a Christian and being in a church community is you've got that community there. Yeah. Which is so important. Oh, thanks for joining us today. Oh, Honestly, I told everyone that it would be a story that beggars belief. Like to think that we, because how old are you now? 20... 28. I have known you for 23 years. <laughs> I obviously was like 10 when I first taught you, but there you Absolutely. go. But to still be connected like that. And, um, you know, we we've always been close with your family and vice versa, even though we're in different States now, but we still all see each other, which is really good. So thank you so much for joining us. And anyone that lives in Adelaide, go to tea tree Plaza, which is my old hunting ground or Elizabeth, is it Elizabeth City Centre? Yeah. Yep. Go to one of those two and make sure that you order flowers from Renee Louise. And go say hi and meet her and tell her that you heard us on the podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Renee. You want to say farewell to everyone? Oh, thank you so much for listening. It's been such a pleasure. It's been great to have you. And everyone else, I will see you again next week. Bye. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast.